This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Livin' the Bream with the host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. Today on Live in the Bream, we have somebody who is one of my favorite people. He's such a gifted pastor and teacher, a friend as well. Now, I'm going to tell you this. He founded the Church of the City in Nashville. But when you hear him, you're going to know that's not where he's originally from. And it's a fantastic church with so much practical outreach into the community. Uh, our guest has a master's and a doctorate degree in ministry. Um, he and his wife um, have a beautiful family. She is so engaged, too, in the work that they are trying to do in really in practical ways help their community. He's also co-authored a couple books, Holy Roar and Rumors of God. Please help me welcome Pastor Darren Whitehead. Good to have you today. Thank you, Shannon. It's great to be with you. So you have agreed to help us dive into this story about Jonathan and David. It's one of the friendships I include in my new book, The Love Stories of the Bible Speak. And I didn't want to do just romance because there are some good ones. There are some tricky ones. But I said, you know, the love of friendship um, and God's love for us, to me, the, the entire Bible is his love story to us. But this gift of friendship, I thought was important to dig into, too. And we've talked about how people have really become disconnected. They don't have the same number or depth of the level of friendships that they had in years past. Um, what do you see in ministry? Is part of that COVID, was it before that? Is it the digital divide that we have? How can we do better with friendships and kind of what's the state of play there? Well, I think from the outset, the word friend has been redefined in our lifetime thanks to our Facebook friends. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's really moved from a noun to a verb in a way. You know, people say they friended me or they unfriended me. And while we know that that is not necessarily a true friend, I do think that there are these moments in our culture where words take on new meanings and they start to morph a little bit. And uh, it, it, in many senses, it devalues the whole idea of, of what friendship is. The Bible has a very high view of friendship. And our society today tends to equate intimacy with romance or with Mm -hmm. sex. And really, you can have sex without intimacy, sadly. And you certainly can have intimacy without it being sexualized. And so I'm really glad that you included these different kinds of love in your book because it's very important. And uh, I would love to see particularly in the church, this talked about more to kind of reclaim the idea of what friendship really looks like. And we do ourselves a disservice when we try to get through life without these relationships that, yes, they require us to be vulnerable and accountable to other people, which is sometimes uncomfortable, um, but they give us such a network of support for 
the good things in life, the tough things in life, um, help in our spiritual growth, that idea of iron sharpening iron. Um, and so we see a lot of those things played out in this relationship between Jonathan and David. And just to give people a little background, if you don't know their story, King Saul was the king. Jonathan's his son. Most people would assume he's sort of the prince in waiting, the next in line. But God had different plans. And David comes along, kills Goliath, becomes this hero of the Hebrew people. And, um, you know, Saul didn't exactly love that. Um, there's a time and when people are celebrating David saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands, and we see this jealousy and this real um, evil streak sort of develop with Saul and his obsession with taking out David. Here's the problem. His son, Jonathan and David were the very best of friends. Yes, yes. I love this story because it's so real, isn't it? You've got a complex weave of relationships between family and friendship. And isn't that what life is actually like? You have this, uh, this complexity of history and jealousy and agendas. And in the midst of all of that, there's this purity, this, this friendship between these two guys and the loyalty that they establish to one another. And uh, the way that the story plays itself out, I think, is, is, is so insightful and so beautiful. And it really underscores the immense value of friendship. You know, the word friend in the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, it is uh, it's closely aligned with the idea of secrets. Like a friend is the one that you share your secrets with. A friend is the one that you share uh your doubts and sort of what is going on in your in your inner world and uh you included this verse in your chapter uh on, on this shannon but when jesus in john 15 talks about i no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business instead i've called you friends and then the very next thing sort of defines what jesus would say is a friend and it says this, for everything that I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. This is the idea that Jesus is sharing his heavenly secrets with us as friends. And, um, you know, we in our society today, we talk about how do we have a healthy marriage? How do we work on our marriage? How do we, how do we fix a broken marriage? There's not a lot of resource and there's not a lot of conversation around how are you developing great friendships? How are you nourishing friendships how are you underscoring how important friendships are uh, as we make our way through this journey called life and so uh, i'm glad that you're really highlighting that in this particular chapter well yeah i just um i feel like we can always invest a little bit more time and effort in that and and like i said you know this idea of requiring vulnerability i mean i talked to a gentleman the other night who said um you know i was planning to go out my, my wife and i there were going to be two couples something happened with the ladies they couldn't go so the two of us guys were like okay we're gonna go let's invite a couple of other guys and he said i realized how long it had been when i just went out with a group of guys just to have dinner and talk and it got really deep he said you know we're talking mm -hmm. about things we 
struggle with in our professional life, our personal life, and just realized it had been so long since any of us had sat around as men and had those kind of conversations. And it made him realize how much he missed it. But he said the more vulnerable that we got, the more uncomfortable things got, the closer we felt. And this dinner went on forever and ever and ever. And all of us leaving saying, I feel so much better that I got to share some of these things with somebody. And let's do this again soon. So I think in the Mm. busyness of life, we can um, lose track of those things and the ability to connect with other people. And I know that so much of technology and COVID and everything else, as we discussed in the beginning, um, is that distraction. Well, listen, Jonathan and David didn't have that, um, but they did have a father that wanted to kill the best friend. So, (laughs) you know, there's a little tricky, like, oh, this is my best (laughs) friend and my dad wants to kill him. Um, And Saul had done other things that I've written about, too. And I, I touch on it again here. He had one of his daughters who was desperately in love with David. And he's like, okay, I'm going to give her to him, but it's going to be a snare. I'm going to find a way to use this to actually get to David. So Jonathan is now, you know, the brother-in-law and he's witnessing all of this stuff too. Um, and and there's a point, it seems that Jonathan doesn't want to believe the worst about his father. Like King Saul is really not going to kill my best friend. He really doesn't have those intentions. But then in 1 Samuel 19, we see this passage. Saul told his son, Jonathan, and all the attendants to kill David. So he has a choice to make here about his loyalties and his allegiance. And he believed that David was chosen by God, that he was going to be the next leader. And they had made this really serious commitment to each other, this pledge to each other as friends. And Jonathan made this very difficult decision of choosing his friend over his father. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I think that what we see here is deep, and I'm I'm sort of, guessing by placing myself in the story but deep in his heart jonathan knew what the right thing to do was and he was watching the character of his father on display he's watching his insecurity he's watching how threatened he's feeling the you know the soul has slain thousands david tens of thousands as you mentioned earlier he was he was jealous of him and what a friend will do is a friend will do hard things in and, and do the right thing. And so, yes, he chose being loyal to David over his father, but he was looking at a man who had was living a life that is honoring to God. As you know, David had an opportunity to take out Saul on several occasions mm-hmm. and chose not to do that. Saul did not do the same thing. Saul tried to kill David several several times. Right. So, so you know what's happening is Jonathan is watching all of this play out, and he's choosing to be a man of character, and he's choosing to see what the right thing to do is in the midst of all of this. And so he chooses loyalty to his friend over his dad because it's the right thing to do. All things were not equal in this situation, and he did the right thing. Hmm. So he actually comes up with a plan to send David a signal at one point. Folks will have to read through that, but it had to deal with, see, you know, Sheldon, my husband would love this. It had to do with archery and sending up bows out into the wilderness and and them to be a signal for David to know about whether he should stay or go. Um, and, And so David is on the run for a good chunk of his life. He has these times where he sees Jonathan occasionally and we can see, um, just how, 
close they were by how much it kind of broke their hearts to be put in, in this situation. Um, Jonathan had made a covenant with the house of David in First Samuel 20. It says, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. Jonathan and David reaffirmed their oath out of love um, because they loved, it says, Jonathan loved him as he loved himself. So think about that. You know, he's saying, He's calling David's enemies to account when he knows that's his own father. So these guys have yeah. made this, um, you know, very difficult but very powerful pledge to each other. And I love that, you know, after we see, unfortunately, the death of of Saul and of Jonathan, um, and David is just distraught by this. Um, and he actually, he praises them in song while he's also lamenting their deaths in 2 Samuel 1. Um he says, you know, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. So he's even praising Saul, despite the fact that, as you noted, he tried to murder him multiple times. Said Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Then he talks about his grief for Jonathan. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. And listen, David knew something about the love of women because he had had many wives and many other people uh, in the palace, but clearly this commitment and this kind of bond he had with Jonathan was something special and beyond all of that, kind of as you you were talking about, romantic love kind of gets all of the attention, but really these um, relationships, this bond these two had even beyond family was something much deeper and that God brought them together in this friendship. Mm-hmm. I, I tell you something funny, Shannon, My, I think my favorite class that I ever took in seminary was uh, all about the idea of how much we tend to project onto the text from uh, the country that we live in, from the, the, the part of the world. <laughs> we, we, we project a, a culture under this. And uh, the seminary professor was telling me that uh, Americans tend to overly sexualize things. And other countries have different ways of doing it. So, for example, the example that she gave is she said, you take the story of David and Bathsheba, which was certainly not David's finest moment later in his life. But Americans see that as adultery. And the problem was adultery or the problem was, you know, he was seduced or but there was sort of like this idea that he was he was lusting and then he was pulled into this this affair. If you go to Africa and you ask them, what is this story about? They're going to say, this story is about abuse of power and stealing from the poor, the only mm. thing of value that they had left. Mm-hmm. This is the story is not about sex at all. So if you take kind of that same idea and say, like, in our culture that is highly sexualized, how in ways that we are completely unaware of, do we project that onto the text? And what happens sometimes in an overly sexualized culture, they, they talk about Jonathan and David as though they had some sort of erotic connection or sexual mm-hmm. connection. And that is just not in the text. And that is not how people would certainly read it in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, there's a, there's a real opportunity to be reclaiming uh, intimate friendship, particularly between men, in Western culture, I think you were talking about it a little earlier. Men are lonely, and COVID did more to cut off 
friendships and isolate people than anything else in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I think lots of people have had the experience that you just talked about. And that is, we haven't done this in such a long time because COVID sort of shut relationships down, at least being in the presence of one another, in some cases for two or three years. Mm -hmm. And so people are only reconnecting. What I love about friendship, particularly Christian friendship in the context of just Christian fellowship, is you have this dynamic where people are hanging out together and maybe you're going around the circle and you're answering a question or whatever it is, but there's this one point where someone goes a little deeper, a a level of transparency and vulnerability than anyone has gone that night. And then the whole dynamic changes. Mm -hmm. Someone says something that they're struggling with. Someone says uh, some level of anxiety or fear that they have. Someone talks about a a problem relationship or, or, or just something that they're really struggling with. The whole tone of the conversation changes and then everyone starts opening up and sharing something that's really deep. And then when you leave, and you were alluding to this earlier, but when you leave after a night like that, you feel so connected and you feel like your soul was nourished because of the level of vulnerability that you have expressed with one another. You feel known. You feel less lonely. And there is great, great value in that. Mm -hmm. I think you're so right. And I think so many times we're searching for something that is a fix, a quick fix to that. And um, it may be easier to go surf Instagram than actually, you know, sit down and grab coffee with somebody and pour your guts out. Um, you know, that's just the reality of where we are these days. And I think that, you know, a lot of folks will look for a lot of places that give us that hit of feeling better or feeling encouraged for a second, but it doesn't replace these kinds of relationships and they do take time and vulnerability and, and investment. And so um, I, I do think the way you talk about it, it makes me think of like when you're so thirsty and you get a drink from a well, it's like you can't get enough when you realize like, ah, oh, I was missing this part of me that's created for this connection for community. And it's so important, whether it's in your religious community um, or even in your neighborhood. I think about um, one of Sheldon's favorite things is he loves for it to snow, which is like my worst nightmare. He loves it because <laughs> he gets to crank up up his snowblower that he got from his brother in Iowa, where it actually really does snow. But he gets to go take care of the whole neighborhood. And he just makes him he makes him so happy. He likes to use this thing. And it's kind of like he's very much a gifts of service kind of guy. Mm-hmm. That's sort of his love language is like he loves to go show the neighbors, regardless of like where they are politically or what's going on or what flag they have up at their house or anything else. Like, um, hey, we're here for you. And, you know, I, I travel some for work. And when I'm gone, um, we have a neighbor that's um, got some physical challenges. And Sheldon will say like, hey, I'm going to call him up and see if I can go hang out. Again, I don't think they agree on anything that you would talk about on the you know front page of your newspaper, but they're good friends. And I think that um, you know just taking the time to invest with people and reaching out. Sometimes we have to be the ones who reach out, um, or at least when someone reaches out to us, we have to be open to those conversations. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend? 
A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bream today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bream. I want to talk about the very end of Jonathan and David's story too, because after Jonathan is gone, and you're the expert much more than I am here, but from what I've studied, Dino Scholar said basically when the new king takes over, you'd wipe out the family of the previous king because mm-hmm. you want a clean claim to the throne. But Jonathan and David had this commitment and this deep bond and friendship that went beyond that because there comes a point where David says, wait a minute, is there anybody left from Jonathan's family that I could honor? Mm-hmm. And we see this beautiful story unfold of him welcoming in a very special member of Jonathan's family. Mm. Yes. The story of Mephibosheth is one of the most beautiful stories that you'll find um, in the scripture. And you've just got this ancestor of of uh, Saul and of Jonathan and David showing him such kindness and such grace. It's, it's, it's actually one of the clearest pictures of a sign a sign of grace in the Old Testament. And I really, really love it. And it's as you were talking about earlier. It is. Uh, it was against what the custom would be, and and most of that is like you want to, you want to wipe out the previous monarchy's family because they are going to be loyal to the previous administration, mm-hmm. and so you take them all out so that you eliminate the potential threat and living in fear, and so what David did with this young man uh, was was very very beautiful, and he, um, what he had a disability, had a physical disability. And, uh, and and David cared for him. In the ancient world, when someone had a, a physical disability, they were really discarded. It was, uh, it was seen as uh, a, a curse from the gods. And, uh, and so they had a very low view of people with disabilities. And so the kindness that David showed is something that was really, really extraordinary. Yeah, so he brings him in and says, you're basically going to eat at my table and be part of my family. I write Mm -hmm. in the book, David not only embraced Mephibosheth, but he restored him. The king not only gave Jonathan's son all the land that belonged to Saul, but in the verses that follow, we also see David assigning servants to work that land so it would bring great benefit to Mephibosheth. And he joined King David's table, being treated like one of the royal sons. This is a covenant of David and Jonathan's friendship that lasted beyond Jonathan's lifetime. So um, an encouragement, hopefully, for all of us. If you're listening to this today, maybe you call somebody, you know, plan time to be with people and to invest. Check on your friends and see how they are after this years of disconnectedness. And um, maybe like those guys who got together for dinner and remembered how great it was. We can all set about doing that with people in our lives as well. Um, Pastor Darren Whitehead, thank you so much for helping us to see some new insights in this story. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Can I just say one other thing, Shannon, before we go? I was meeting with a... I was meeting with a media trauma specialist 
And she was talking about how for the last handful of years, since we've had smartphones, we tend to, anytime we feel pain or discomfort, we distract ourselves or we medicate ourselves by looking at our phones and we just start mm. doom scrolling or, or, or whatever it may be. But we, we feel uncomfortable. And so we immediately grab our phones and we look at them and we think about something else. It stops us from feeling our feelings. And what has happened is if, we, if you do that over the course of multiple years of not feeling these little feelings, and then what happens is it, it starts to it starts to brew under the surface and you have these waves of big, big emotions and feelings that you have not tended to. And so I think it's more important than ever to get in person with people and look them in the eye and say, how are you really doing? Like what is going on in your soul? And I think that we are grossly overdue, many of us, grossly overdue and we're carrying a lot of emotion and a lot of feelings that we have not been tending to because we simply grab our phones and we distract ourselves and we think about something else and uh covid together with devices has created a little bit of a perfect storm and we are never we've never been more in need of connecting with other human beings in in sincere and intimate fashion than than the time we're in right now Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Such good wisdom and kind of a call for all of us to check ourselves, check our priorities and make those investments and make those calls and those dinner dates or those coffee dates, whatever it is. Um, Pastor, hope to see you again very soon. I hope so, too. Please say hey to Sheldon for me. Will do. Thanks for joining us on Live in the Bream as we discuss stories from the love stories of the Bible. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 